Hello, it's Julie Bindle, and today I'm speaking with the marvellous Rosie Duffield MP, who represents the constituency of Canterbury. She's in the Labour Party, and she's had no end of trouble since she spoke out against gender ideology and for the victims and survivors of male violence. Rosie herself has experienced coercive control at the hands of an abusive man. She knows of what she speaks. My gut feeling about generally misogyny, and I know it's bandied around sometimes where the word sexism is actually needed, but my gut feeling about misogyny is I've never, you know, I'm 52, I remember growing up as a young girl, knowing the way things were, we all did. We all knew what you had to do, how to keep yourself safe. My dad was a policeman, so I had it drummed into me even more. So all of our instincts are fine-tuned from essentially birth. And I have never, ever known such desperate and drastic open misogyny. And I, I what that sounds, you know, shocking when we look at history, but I think. With history, we've evolved so much to talk about these things and civil rights and all these other things. So because we have less excuse than ever, that's why I think it's worse, because there's no reason for it to be institutionalised and accepted in the media and just part of everyday life for young women. I think that's the key for me, that young women are coming into, being born into, this atmosphere of misogyny that we thought we were fighting against. You know? I mean, th- th- this is it. I mean, look, come on. We 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 can talk about Russell Brand, and we have to talk about mm. Russell Brand because yeah. on Saturday, the sixteenth of September, the Sunday Times published hugely revealing um, yeah. and horrendous story about. Yeah. I, I would I would assume a fraction of his victims who've come forward and I do believe those women and no I'm not acting as judge and juror I'm saying I do believe those women because enough of us had heard rumours about him for Mm. years but you and I know you know both of us have experienced male violence both of us campaign to end male violence we talk constantly to other survivors and victims we know how these things work women instinctively know when men are predators and we course, are yeah. terrified to speak out when they're rich litigious yeah. and obviously you know I, I as a journalist took the story about Russell Brand or huh. a story a, a slice of the story to different editors over the years and they wouldn't publish understandably no. because of how wealthy and litigious he is and so obviously absolute yeah. props to that huge team yeah, the factories and the Sunday Times and their lawyers yeah. and the well, women in the main, the women that gave such compelling absolutely. evidence that me he's yeah. got no chance of suing and winning. He told he us, told us what was he doing? Who he was. So even if let's just imagine that these unrelated women who some are in different continents to each other have somehow or other conspired against this man and it is a great big conspiracy like the rich men will tell us on Twitter and things. Let's imagine that's true. He was standing up and making jokes about 
forcing women to give him a blowjob or whatever and, and making a gag and and you know he was making asides all the time about sometimes I'm nice now those same things are in the footage when you look back at Jimmy Savile if you look at his um the excerpts from his uh the clips from his interviews he's telling us who he is so Russell Brand let's just say he's been wronged and he didn't do any of those things he's still telling us that he's an absolute sexist with a violent attitude mental attitude towards women because he's there making it part of his stand-up routine why is even that you know not been called out or not been questioned and i don't like censoring especially comedy but when you look at that and then you hear the specific allegations it's pretty uncomfortable viewing isn't it exactly and if we just look at brand and the way that many left-wing men the same men mm. that tried to shut us up call us bigots scream and shout at us and call us the worst names possible yeah. because we try to actually protect women and girls from male sexual violence think about yeah. them owen jones think about yeah. billy bragg think about them <laughs> they are them. the ones well quite <laughs> they are two of the men that are mm. that are known to have heaped praise on Russell oh, Brand in like the Russell. past. Yeah, absolutely. And not yeah. only that, but be photographed with their arms around mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. And with, you know, in Jones's case, I mean, he looked, he looked positively, I don't know, he looked like a shy little <laughs> adoring. kind of adoring <laughs> teenage girl looking up at him, fluttering his yeah. eyelids. Now, look, let's think about why those men wanted to make friends with someone who said things, who said things like, if you say sorry, you can rape and murder as many people as you like, right? Huh. Wow. And he was, when asked to identify the multiple victims of his so-called sexual addiction, which doesn't exist, that's just medicalizing behavior. He mm. said, I feel like Saddam Hussein trying to pick out individual Kurds. Now, wow. he also, as you've pointed out, Rosie, he made jokes about shoving his penis so far down a woman's throat when she yeah. was giving him a blowjob, yeah. that she was gagging, she was choking, and that he was saying, this is the kind of thing that I like. He I wanted to see her mascara run, and in fact, one of the victims has described that exact scenario. That's right. I mean, honestly, and then just saying, saying that if he had to write a victim's list, you know, a, a list of all of the women that he had wronged, he would, as I said before, feel like Saddam Hussein, trying to pick out individual curves. I mean, I mean what on earth are these lefty men fawning around him for before all of these allegations came out? Before? Yeah, because the number one thing is this sort of brochialism. They, they seem to, to go towards, you know, even, even their sort of enemies politically, if you like, get a better time and a better deal than us women. I mean, we've seen it. Yes. The worst thing you could do is be a woman, but a woman on the left and a woman who irritates them by speaking up. They just right. basically want us to shut our female mouths. Well, um, exactly. Know, Same old. <laughs> Same old. And in fact, a, a few years ago when I was talking to a woman who he uh, who she told me he'd sexually assaulted her. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to get it over the line in any newspaper. Yeah. And but I listened to her. We're still in touch. We spoke. We spoke to each other about him. It was obvious what he was up to, and yeah. I put myself through the hell of reading his book. I mean, what a tool this man is! His book, my bookie book, and in this he described how when he was sixteen, 
his father, and I've heard this story so many times, Rosie, with the research I do on the harms of prostitution, that his father uh, took him yeah. to Thailand to pay for sex with a prostituted woman. And he mm. said, he said that he came back confident with women because he felt like he'd come back a man. Excellent. His attitudes to women did not did not seem to bother these lefty men like Bragg and Jones from fawning yeah. all over him. But also the commissioners of, of the television, you know, obviously you and I have close links with TV and channels like Channel 4 and BBC. And I've seen the hoops that people making programmes have to leap through, the diversity and inclusion talks that they all have to attend, you know, several times a year. Um, There's sort of absolute pouring over of every single word by all of the lawyers why didn't anyone think it was important enough to flag up this stuff you know we've seen this I think it was this year or maybe last year a trans self-identifying comedian playing piano on television with his yeah. penis at sort of a prime time show right. and yet in order for us to be on camera speaking like this uh, we would have to go through all kinds of... In fact, I don't think it would happen. I don't think we'd be allowed to... And we, gender-critical women certainly aren't um, platformed by the same people that put penis piano-playing uh, men on in the name of comedy. So we've got a hell of a long way to go before we're allowed equal treatment with these guys who usually are... <laughs> you know, what have, we, what have we learned by Jimmy Savile? What have we learned by Rolf Harris? You know, the fact that, that men like this still dominate men generally still dominate the airwaves right invest in women exactly and we know that if you actually question these lefty men and as i say i give i do not give men on the right a get out of jail free card we know how they feel about feminism we know that's yeah. why we i mean you have endured hell by being a labor politician and i've mm. endured lesser hell but nevertheless um feeling very yeah. uncomfortable and compromised by being a Labour Party member and yeah. supporter but we can see back in 2008 the Guardian itself wrote a review of it was Russell Brand and to me he is just symbolic of these misogynistic men that are seen to be messiahs and seen to be progressive hmm. but he actually made a joke um, played a prank about a call to a rape crisis line, an emergency rape crisis wow. line. I didn't know that. And, oh, yes. And and in fact, you know, he, he was the focus of considerable anger because um, this was, it wasn't at the Edinburgh Festival, which you would imagine, it was at a gig in mm. Northampton. Um, and he'd referred to a series of local sexual attacks in underpasses on women. And he, he actually joked about that. And of course, wow. he was he was forced to um, to apologise, but that means absolutely nothing. And yeah. it, please, I mean, rape jokes used to be seen as not really kind of acceptable when rape is so endemic and you can't get a conviction over the line. But yeah. none of this seems to matter. But you and I and many of our friends and colleagues say something like, Trans women are not women, they're trans women. We respect their yeah. human rights, but we don't yeah. think that they should be able to self-identify. That they automatically, 
well they don't wake up as a woman they are not ever going to be yeah. actual women and, and that's what we I'm say always going to say that and so are you because it's a fact and we've got to you know nowadays we have to make sure we keep saying facts and you know trans women are and trans men are trans women and trans men and you know you don't I don't believe that you become automatically the opposite sex it you know I don't believe in those kinds of miracles I'm afraid right. and um you know a lot of gender critical women don't and yet yes we're cancelled or sidelined or ignored um or abused um and the abuse of us is tolerated by the institutions that we are associated with, whether Indeed. that's newspapers in your case or the Labour Party in my case. Um, because, you know, I, I think at the moment I'm supposed to be grateful that I haven't been, that the whip hasn't been suspended from me. I think I'm supposed to be grateful that, you know, Keir and everyone else is just still tolerating me and that I haven't been, you know, shoved into the coal hole or whatever. I think I'm supposed to be grateful for that, even though I am sidelined, unacknowledged, unspoken to, and uh, and just basically kept on the naughty step entirely all of the time. I think I'm supposed to be grateful that I'm still allowed to be a Labour MP. Um, you know, I'm tolerated. So I think I think this is and I think Karen Angola Smith has just been allowed back into the Labour Party. I think she's supposed to be grateful for that as well. You know, as though this movement is owned by a few men. We had a meeting the other day, a women's PRP meeting, and we had our general secretary there and the new chief of staff, Sue Gray. And it was really interesting. All the women around the table didn't hold back. And, you know, I love those meetings. We, we get to say what we want. And one person who probably wouldn't mind being named, but I'm going to not do that, said, well, we all know that four people, four men, you know, they just change every now and again, run the Labour Party. And no <laughs> one challenged that because we were like, yeah, you know, we were asking about well, how many women candidates have been chosen for the general election, how many disabled candidates. Um, and we get the same answer from the general secretary. And I think he has done interviews where he said that over 50 percent of the Labour Party are women, as though A, we're supposed to be grateful, B, that that is anything at all to do with those two men, actually, who... I mean, every one of the women in the Labour Party now, every woman MP got in in 2019 before this man was the General Secretary, before Keir was the leader. So we managed that by ourselves. And actually, it was quite a feat. We managed to cling on during the, to our seats during the worst electoral defeat I think that Labour's ever had. So we are pretty OK with where we are and we know that we did it ourselves. So for the Labour Party to sort of credit themselves that they now have 50% women is because we stuck yes. with it and we yeah. didn't get defeated. That, that's quite something. You know, um, we lost 60 colleagues and those that are left are the, the women who managed to keep their seats. So, you know, I think, again, we're supposed to be grateful. We're supposed to just forget that we still haven't got a woman leader, that, you know, it's just like, well, never mind, that the only man on the platform in the last leadership contest won again, and that's going to keep happening. And for that not to happen, a man has to decide that, yes, he's always wanted it, but this time he won't put himself up. Right. That's the only way we're going to get a woman leader. Of course. And yet... We have been saying this for so long, women inside yep. the party, women that left the party, women that support mm -hmm. the party have been saying it for so long. And a few yep. men have actually been saying, whoa, this doesn't look good for the Labour Party. No, nope. it's I think what it is. 
and I can only speak from my experience of feminism this past four decades, is looking at the way in which all men that are given the opportunity and are not deterred will be sexist towards women, will mm -hmm. exercise their power over women, will take advantage of the fact that they were born with privilege because they were born with a penis. So they'll take advantage, yeah. unless they're exceptional men or they're trained by feminists or because they just are those kind of rare men, and I'm afraid they are rare in my view, mm -hmm. where they really work hard to have truly equal relationships with women and truly yeah. respect us as equals. But apart from that, men will capitalise on their privilege given at birth. Mm. Let's just say privilege assigned at birth. Shall we use that? Yeah. Phrase? And yes. and and if if obviously they're told off because you're not supposed to be um, viewing women as lesser than you when you're mm. on the left, especially the hard left, they yeah. will grab any excuse and any opportunity mm. to put us down. Oh, Men yeah. on the right will do it quite blatantly. They might be quite yes. We know who they are. Not hiding it. And some of them are actually quite nice with it. It's irritating and we'll challenge them, but <laughs> some of them are actually never going to rape a woman. Some of them are never going no. to pinch the bottom as you walk past. Men That's on the true. left are much trickier to deal with because they hide. They hide in plain sight yeah. and they always exercise male bonding with other sexist men because it gives them a sense oh, yeah. of security. Yeah, and I think the thing that men on the left particularly seem really baffled by by when you point out actually us women in the Labour Party, A, we know quite a few things about being elected and about politics, and B, we got here by our own merit and we hung on to our seats by our own merit. They're all a bit, oh, oh, they don't really know what to say and do. And also I genuinely think, I think they genuinely believe that they have to stand because they're saving the party. They have to stand on that platform of leadership because only they could really unite, could get left and right together, are brilliant enough to have all the support. If that's, if that's the case, if the men in the union movement or the membership or the men inside those inner circles of the party really can't and won't come behind a woman as leader, then we've got a much greater problem than, than we're admitting. What, it's only a man that can save us. It's only a man that can smite anti-Semitism. It's only a man that can, can say what the unions want to hear and then, and then sort of, you know, I mean, rubbish. Rubbish, exactly. because that's saying that only men have the right political instincts, savvy and know-how. That's absolute rubbish, isn't it? I mean, here it, it is, and here you are, Rosie, hanging on, not just hanging on, but actually getting mm. the work done for your constituents <laughs> and generally within the party. And you, you know how respected you are for the stand you've taken you. and for your tenacity. Now, now tell us, we all want to know, what is happening next? Because hmm. we can see that Labour are uh, on course to win the next general election that may or may not happen but it would mm. you know obviously Labour is is less bad than the Tories that's the way I would put yeah. it so I'm absolutely <laughs> full on for that I'll go canvassing but what's happening with you and your very mm. very few colleagues that are actually speaking out about this misogyny that disguises itself as trans rights well they're not anymore none of them are speaking at all I mean you know we had a sort of reasonably active group of sort of secret gender critical women and we have these cross-party 
meetings at work where um, we go to the Lords, we have talks, we all get together and they've been pretty well attended actually. And those Labour women will come but to the meetings. But, you know, every, every single gender critical woman apart from me has a job on the front bench. So I'm essentially sort of subconsciously elected the chair and spokesperson of, of all those people because they can't speak out because if if they a they don't want to be cancelled they don't want to be denied a job in the front bench and b they don't want to be critical of the leader because i've learned you know as, as someone from completely outside of this world i've been told that the reason i've been very positively left out of being offered a job on the front bench it's not that they've forgotten me i'm a bit too loud and prominent for that they've decided that i am you know to be kept on the naughty step um is is because I'm critical of the leader and I'm only learning that you're not supposed to be critical of the leader now because every man and his dog was critical of the last leader the only one the only <laughs> other one I served under apart from those in the leadership now who were also in his shadow cabinet who didn't criticize him in public and never spoke out about things like anti-semitism mm. so i was very critical of that leader i've been reasonably critical of this leader because i thought that's what politics was about the exchange of ideas representing the views that you know directly from your own constituents they're not bothered about whether they criticize the leader of the labor party or not and we're in this weird hybrid where Technically, he's sort of our boss, but actually also not, because we're sort of not employed by the Labour Party, we're employed by Parliament. But in order to be in this group, in this gang, the Labour Party, you have to obviously be, be loyal to the lines that are put out and the leader. And that's understandable. Not anyone can just be a member of any club all the time. Um, but, you know, there's no discussion of those lines with the people who are representing them and who are supposed to go on television um, spouting them all the time so there's 101 women with the whip I think at the moment maybe 100 um, and when they are forming policy like whether or not they agree with self-ID I would have thought silly me that it was a good idea to speak to the women particularly the gender critical group of women that you know are in your front bench or in your shadow cabinet um, or me because I've been doing media on it for about three years now but instead I read that we don't we're not now going to support self-id in a guardian article a few minutes before i was asked to go live on the today program if anyone in any other organization had you know had to suddenly i don't know sell a new kind of double glazing presumably they'd be explained how it worked right. what it's for why it was being introduced and what did they think being the double glazing salesman experts of this new product but no we get completely left out of the loop and we read that these various groups on the NPF, the National Policy Forum or the NEC, unions and, and other Labour people, I don't really know who they are, have decided that this is policy Right. and then I think it gets tested at conference but Labour women, women MPs, the people that are meant to represent not only Labour members but all of the constituents and in my case it's 120,000 odd constituents, we don't get consulted and I haven't been spoken to by anybody in the, the leadership or the Labour Party or the Women in Equalities team about this new policy. Nobody has spoken to me. That is extraordinary. And so, obviously... I think so. <laughs> no, it, it, it beggars belief. And I mean, obviously, how, how the Labour Party can say it's a party uh, that's, that's supportive of feminism, I do not know. The sort of feminism mm. that it supports seems to be the feminism that men 
clap their hands at that doesn't cost them anything at all and that in fact benefits them the whole trans women and women sex work is work surrogacy is a human right all of that bullshit wrapped up as human rights for men men's rights yeah yeah i mean in 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 our last five minutes because i could obviously talk to you forever tell (laughs) me tell me about tell me about your constituents tell me about how you're preparing um to to move forward and do your job um obviously as well as you have been if not better despite all of these slings and arrows coming your way and the constant pressure that you're under it's pretty difficult obviously i mean since i became involved with the labor party the the biggest critics and the people that put the most obstacles in my way have been labor people either in the lotto office when they're briefing against me or the membership when they took against me and decided I should shut my female mouth about anti-Semitism a few years ago. So those are the real battles. My constituents themselves are mostly absolutely wonderful, ordinary people who care about the environment, still care about Brexit because of our physical position in the country. You know, we're nearer to France than we are to the North or whatever, you know. I'm pretty much in tune with my constituents, I think, on those kind of issues. We we talk a lot, you know, I get 500 plus emails a week and I do a surgery every single week and I go to local events and I meet lots of people who tell me that, A, they thank me for my stance on gender critical stuff, but if they don't, that's okay. We usually have fairly decent conversations about that. I recently met with the student representatives and I'm certain they don't all agree with me on that, but they're incredibly polite. The things that they had to, Um, represent to me they did really well you know we've got a really good and healthy relationship I think Um, because most people are really decent and really polite but when you've got the party literally throwing kind of bowling balls at you by briefing against you that you're I think that that um, the head of cons or whatever he was called was briefed out saying I'm never in my constituency those things stick it's clever you know it doesn't sound clever to say something so stupid because it's blatantly untrue he said you're never in your constituency oh yeah I think I think it's a guy called Matt Doyle who is executive head of comms for Kistama of course has still got his job um he said that I should spend less time with Joe Rowling and more time in my constituency oh I remember this this is a guy this is a guy I have never met who as far as I know has never been to my constituency and I mean, I've never submitted my constituency diary to him. I, I don't quite know where he gets, but it's clever because people will go, oh, she's never in her constituency. You know, my constituents know I am. You know, I'm there every single week like everyone else who lives in their constituency. And very many of the shadow uh, cabinet have always been based in and lived in a nice large house in London. That isn't the case for me. But, um, but we all you know, know, it. know that. I mean, your constituents love you. I mean, well, they mostly seem terribly lovely. And, you know, I think we've helped quite a lot over the years. I've done over 50,000 cases that I've opened in six years. And um, we do our absolute best. I've got a brilliant team, you know, and we work with our local councillors and, and, you know, we usually get pretty good results, I think, where we can. I mean, onwards and upwards to to you, Rosie, you know, we really love you. And I'll never, ever forget hearing your speech about, what you'd been through with domestic abuse and domestic terrorism and it meant such a lot to women and I'll always be grateful for that but also the fact that we're friends and the fact that we're colleagues and I know you have to go in a minute because I can actually see in the background Joe Rowling's there just putting the kettle on isn't she and she's 
You and her, yeah. are, you, you're going to go to the to the afternoon cinema together, aren't you? Absolutely, and then, um, that's all I do all day. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> so I better let you go so you can get on with chatting with Joe and um, do give her my love. But seriously, I though, I mean, thank you for the chat. Um, I could honestly no, talk you. to you about. I just feel so fired up, angry. We could do awful. this every week. Me too. Yeah. We've I had think we should do it every week. The we? Rosie and oh, Julie we've show. We've had enough. <laughs> we've had enough and actually can't wait to see you in the flesh next time soon. Yeah. And buy you a really nice drink and give you a hug. So Rosie. It has to be Bailey's like you got for my birthday. I mean, not, that not is a some disgrace. Negroni rubbish. Yeah, but Bailey's <laughs> in the summer. I'll never forget that. Yeah, it's a wonder we're still friends. It really is. I mean, <laughs> a Bailey's before dinner. Listeners, she had a Bailey's before dinner. She had a Bailey's after dinner. I, I, I always do. I yeah. was appalled. I'm so pathetic. <laughs> I, know. I know. I'm sorry. But anyway, thank, thank you, you very Rosie. much. That was You're great. a national treasure. Thank you so you much. You too. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It's always great to talk to a friend and it's even better when we can share our conversations and our thoughts with you. Until next time.